Hi, welcome to School Days, help for moms and dads of school-age kids. I'm Danita Bailey. And I'm David Bailey. More than 1 in 20 U.S. children and teens have anxiety and depression. So that means, on average, at least one child in every classroom in America is suffering from anxiety or depression. So, really, this is a topic that hits home for David and me. Um, around this time last year, we started to notice that our fourth graders' grades were beginning to slip. He had always been an, an A-B student, and there was really an abrupt change. Mm-hmm. So he started to have some pretty severe behavioral problems at home, which was really abnormal for him. He was usually a good kid. And that prompted us to seek therapy and eventual diagnosis of um, anxiety and depression. And then since then, another one of our children has been diagnosed with anxiety and the journey of getting them the help they need was uh, was what actually what prompted us to start this radio show, um, you know, uh, for school days kids. Because, you know, we just realized that, you know, a lot of times parents are suffering silently. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- whatever the struggles are, you know, and there are unique challenges. And so we you know decided to get the show started um, so we can kind of press into these issues and support parents on the home front. So we're excited about this episode today. Yeah, we are. And, you know, like we were saying that this is something that we have learned a lot about. It has been a lot of trial and error and trying to figure out what works for our child because just for just because it works for another person's mm-hmm. child doesn't mean that it works for our child. And what, what would you say what is the biggest aha moment you've had or something that you've learned from all of this? Um, be flexible. Um, you know, this is something that is new to me. You know, we didn't start this journey of parenting knowing that we're going to have two children that struggle with anxiety and one with depression. Um, and that we have to be flexible and to allow... Uh, God to work on our hearts mm-hmm. so that we can love our children the way they need to and not look at it as an inconvenience or uh, a pain. Um, they are at times, but that's not the ultimate goal is, but to get beyond ourselves and, and not worry about what people think. That's huge. Yes. Because as parents, you want to look like you have it together. And, you know, you may receive judgment from other parents because your kid is acting a particular way or you're not disciplining in the way that seems to be the way that. But you can't. We've had to um, change our parenting style Mm -hmm. for sure to um, allow for some of the behavioral issues that have come with anxiety and depression. And that's been a hard thing to do. You know, and it's also allowed us just to open up more and to be yeah. more transparent. I mean, this is about as transparent as you can get <laughs> being on a radio show here, sharing with, you know, the world uh, our struggles. But, you know, I know we're not the only ones. And so we want to help parents and support them um, in any way that we can with all the issues that we bring up. And, you know, we're like we said before, we're right there. When we say we're right there with you, we're we right, right there for with sure. you. Yes, yeah. for sure. <laughs> Well, before we go any further, let me just say that it does take a village. If you hear a great parenting tip or nugget of advice, share it with your parent friends. Facebook it, Instagram it, tweet it, link it in, and add the hashtag School Days Show and hashtag I am School Days. And also, we really, really want you to be a part of the show. So if you have any questions or comments about your personal experiences with this, please give us a call. 
Our phone number is 214-431-5062. I kind of felt like I was begging there. <laughs> was that too much? <laughs> uh, hey. What, what gotta it, do what I gotta yeah, do? What did uh, TLC say? TLC? I don't know. TLC? I ain't too proud to beg. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well. Well, yeah. This is a different context, but yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. Let's move on. I thought okay. you were going to go with Don't Go Chasing Waterfalls. Oh. oh. No. That's, that's a not good one, too. Okay. Yeah. No, that's don't good. Sing. Uh, this could just be a, a reminiscent of just all our old 90s jams. <laughs> that would be a good topic. That would be. We'll do yeah. that instead. Yeah. Okay, maybe not. No, all right. No questions for that. So. so tell us who's here today. Okay, so today we have Jalea Seals. Hi, Jalea. Hey. Hey, hey. Uh, she is a licensed professional counselor and the founder of uh, 212, or do you say 212? I say 212. Oh, 212. Yeah. Okay. There's room for whatever you want to do, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, I like that. All right, so um, she is, uh, so it's uh, two, 212 Behavioral, mm-hmm. DFW's in-home parenting support for behavioral issues. She earned her undergraduate degree in psychology from the University of North Texas and her master's in marriage and family counseling from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary on the other side of town. You guys took, took one of my uh, professors. I went to Dallas Seminary. Okay. Yes, and uh, Dr. Bingham, he was in room. Mm-hmm. Anyway. I'm kind of getting off topic here. <laughs> uh, but she's worked with uh, an array of children with anxiety and depression from the typical to the extreme. And her heart is in helping families become more successful, which is the heartbeat of our show. So we are so glad you're here, Julia, and thank you for spending time with us today. Thanks for having me. All right. All right. Well, let's just jump right in. Can you tell us what is major depressive disorder? Major depressive disorder um, is basically whenever your depression gets extreme. So whenever it starts inhibiting your functions, um, there's a big old purple book that professionals use to diagnose different mental illnesses called the DSM or the Diagnostic Mm -hmm. of Statistical Manual Mental Disorders. Um, And then a bunch of psychiatrists sit together and they say hey what are we going to call this and they say i've got an idea let's call it major depressive disorder Um, and so they sit down and they say okay here's nine criteria um, that people typically have when they're depressed in order to have this depressive disorder you need to have at least five of them Um, so you know the irritability difficulty sleeping not enjoying the things that you used to enjoy um, all those sort of things but practically for parents what i like to say is if your sadness or the deep sadness it has to have depressed mood starts to impair functioning um that's when we start looking at at you know going to get diagnosed Mm -hmm. and what is generalized anxiety disorder gad that's fun to say (laughs) generalized anxiety yeah it does it's not every profession has their own jargon i know so you know it's 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 anxiety that isn't otherwise um, specified so it's a big umbrella for anxiety disorders underneath it you have things like ocd or Mm -hmm. um, other more fine tunes mentions of anxiety but generalized anxiety is something that about 25 percent of the population has so that's that's, a lot it's a lot of people one in four one yeah about one in four in the in the united states at least okay um and it's more prevalent in industrialized nations Mm -hmm. and kind of a a fun fact Mm. in our wastewater system whenever they go back and treat the water there are, are three prevalent chemicals that people um release are releasing yeah that's a good way of saying it thank <laughs> you for, for helping me because the other words but yeah released back on. into yes. the the stream um and the the first one's caffeine 
right? Because mm. we're all having our coffee and our tea. Um, the second one is like birth control hormones. Huh. Um, and then the third one is an antidepressant or, you know, SSRIs. Wow. So it's so prevalent that it's in a testable amount, one of the top three in our wastewater stream. So anxiety, yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. Our friend who's a doctor, she said that amongst her doctor friends, they said that they should just put antidepressants in the water. Like fluoride. <laughs> because everybody needs <laughs> it, just right? Just drink it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they, um, I mean, it's interesting because it's, it's the diagnosable levels whenever it becomes paralyzing. So anxiety could be helpful. Um, and right. it should be for most people. If we don't have anxiety, then we're not going to get up and go to work. We're not going to study for a test. There's a oh. healthy level. Mm. Um, but then there's a paralyzing level where mm-hmm. it's so much that we, we aren't able to function at a normal level. And right. that's when it starts to be diagnosed. Right. And do those two seem to go hand in hand, anxiety and depression? Yeah. Um, I, the technical term is comorbid, which I always thought uh-huh. was a weird word, yeah. you know? Cause the, Sounds like death. Yeah. Co-death. Like right. Du- double death. <laughs> like, um, what's that that movie where, like, the two old people die and they're holding their hands? Oh, oh. Uh, the, the uh, it's the... Yeah, it's something. The notebook. The notebook. Yes. That's what it sounds like <laughs> to me, comorbid, but that's not what it is. <laughs> Good. Uh, comorbid is actually when things coexist um, at the same time. So, you know, diabetes, heart pressure, hypertension, those things are comorbid. But anxiety and depression are comorbid 60% of the time. Wow. And so what I like to tell um, my parents and our clients is that, hey, anxiety and depression are best friends. They go together wherever they're going. They're going to the bathroom together. They're going Mm. to a concert together. Anxiety and depression are usually there together. So when we see one, the other one is most likely there. So are they going to be, are they going to be a, kind of the same level or there's going to be one that's more prominent or it just depends on the person it depends on the person it's a chicken and the egg argument right so what which causes which Mm. um you know typically if you have if you're prone to struggle with anxiety you're going to be prone to struggle with bouts of depression because anxiety is exhausting Mm-hmm. Um, always being hypervigilant, um, right. having trouble <sighs> catching your breath, always yes. looking around, difficulty sleeping. All those things are risk factors for depression. So you're more likely to see those depressive episodes. And then if you're depressed all the time, you're not getting your stuff done, and that can make you really anxious. So then you start seeing anxiety, and your your mind is stuck in that fight-or-flight stage, and so then you become more anxious. There's usually a uh, predominant one, they're not usually at the same level, mm-hmm. um, but they usually feed off of each other. Mm. It's so interesting as you described um, what anxiety feels like, because I struggle with anxiety, mm-hmm. too. I really realized that I probably have always. I can remember my mom saying, if you don't stop worrying so much, you're going to have ulcers when you're older. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I've always had that problem. But um, it does. It feels like you're kind of always on the wall, yeah. always on guard, yeah. always kind of looking around to see, OK, what do I need to handle? And it, it is exhausting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, having that as a child, it's it's funny that they should feel like that because you feel like childhood is so carefree and, you know, you don't have bills or things, major responsibilities, but they they struggle with it as we're finding out um, just as much. Yeah, we um, actually found that the average age of onset of anxiety disorders is 11 years old. Wow. And then you're most likely to get diagnosed with it in your mid 20s. And so, you know, and that's, these are old statistics because that's the way statistics are. Statistics are. Um, mm-hmm. I think that'll be changing as we're, as we're developing as a country and our understanding of anxiety and depression. But I keep that in mind whenever you see adults, you're like, man, you've been, you've been carrying this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A long time. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I mentioned that I struggled with anxiety and now we have two kids that we know have it. So is there a hereditary yeah. trait too? So I'm it? guessing you struggle with guilt too then? <laughs> um, haven't gotten there yet, but good, maybe now. Good, good. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you shouldn't feel guilty. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, yeah, there's, it's typically the parent response whenever, oh man, I struggle with my anxiety and I'm seeing this in my kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm putting on the, the cloak of, of guilt and shame on that, that right. I, I should have done better or whatever. Um, the research can't really be definitive on whether this is hereditary or environmental. Mm. Um, but what we do know is that there's probably three things that are happening. There's probably a genetic factor. There's probably an environmental factor. And then there's definitely a choice factor. Not in that I choose to be anxious or I choose to be depressed, but either I choose to fight it or I choose not to fight it. Oh, okay. Um, and then the, the metaphor people use, which I think is a terrible metaphor, is the metaphor of a gun, you know, where there's genetics is the actual gun. Um, and then the environment is the trigger. And then your kind of choice is whether you pull it or not. I don't think it's that simplified, but the, the uh, image is helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's more fascinating to me is that why is there more anxiety nowadays why are kids seeming more anxious what's more fascinating to me is why are there people that have these uh, anxiety genetic markers and then they don't struggle with anxiety that those are things that are more fascinating to me as a therapist and what are your thoughts Um, my thoughts there's a lot of theories out there um, but my thoughts are that we have um, tried to rescue our kids a little bit too much Mm. and so we've in our effort to try to protect them we haven't equipped them to deal with hardship So if you think about it um, in terms of you have a person that can walk and they don't want to walk. Okay, I have a three-year-old son. He doesn't want to walk sometimes. But if you carry someone who's able to walk for so long, their their muscles begin to atrophy Mm -hmm. and they aren't able to walk. Mm -hmm. Wow. And so I'm I'm really like the theory that there's actually a, a New York Times article that was just published last week that came up with a new term called the snowplow parent. So the helicopter parent we talked about this last week, didn't we? Last year, so it's good. You're timely. Yeah. Um, but the snowplow parents, I'm going to do anything that we can to yes. avoid obstacles. Mm-hmm. And so I think that contributes to our anxiety because anxiety is fed whenever we start avoiding the things that are making us anxious. And we see this kid, and it's like, oh man, being with your peers is making you anxious. So let's just not go to daycare. Let's just not mm. do that. Instead of walking alongside them and equipping them, saying, hey. Mommy feels anxious too. You know what mommy does whenever she feels worried? Um, we take deep breaths and we're practicing those things and we're equipping them to deal with these sufferings. So then now when they're dropped in college and mommy and daddy aren't there to remove the obstacles, hmm. um, that's when we start getting these spikes in diagnosis of anxiety disorders. Hmm. Wow. I have no skills. Um, I have some insight on part of the reasons why I think there may be more anxiety yeah. now. I, I think about when... Um, I was coming up through school, at least in Pennsylvania. I can't vouch for here, but um, we just went to school and did our work, and we took our regular tests. Mm-hmm. And you know, every now and then they'd say, "Oh, okay, you, you know, you have to take the Iowa test of basic skills." I remember that one very specifically. I think they still do that in many places. Mm-hmm. That was it. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, with all last week was on star testing, mm-hmm. and I think high stakes testing can play a major role too or it may be spiked moments of anxiety mm-hmm. uh, or just the pressure like in my son's a fifth grader you know he's in fifth grade and you know and it's you know it's it's known that if you don't pass fifth grade or you know i, I remember even saying when i taught eighth graders um 
that you know you have to pass you have to pass yeah the star test yeah and and if you don't pass you know you may have to go to summer school and if that doesn't happen then you might you might be retained yeah um and so we see kids that get nervous there yeah um then also i've worked with kids you know privately for you know for uh sat and act prep mm-hmm. and um i've seen kids who when they're when they're working with me privately they do great they knock it out the park um the scores go up significantly mm-hmm. um but then when it's time to take the actual test uh, in real time, um, the scores settle right back down to where they started before they even took it. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder, you know, how does that even, how does that happen that, you know, outside of uh, the quote-unquote real test time that, I mean, because you, you can't fake your way to rate. I mean, you can't, the scores I've seen jump that much. Yeah. Like there was significant increase. But then when it was time to get it back down, um, when they took the test in real time, it was, they weren't really succeed. You know, what they showed me privately did not transfer to the results on the test. Right. So there's something else going on there because it's not just content. Right. Kids get nervous and they get, I've seen kids fret. They were crushing it all year long. And then it came time for the star test, whatever. Then they just get, you know. Yeah. I think a lot of teachers have seen that where the kids straight A's and then they, they just bomb the test. Um, yeah, we, any psychiatric hospital in the DFW area, and I, I, which is what I know about, um, but I venture to guess across the world are full around stars time. Mm. Um, so they, mm. you know, it's Mm-mm. just kids that are really struggling. And we think our foundational truth that we teach parents at 212 Behavioral is that your value is not tied to your choices. Mm. Okay. Your consequences are, but your value is not up for grabs. You have absolutely zero authority over your value and your worth as a person and your um, worth as a human being. So, hey, you bomb this test, mommy's still going to love you. No big deal. But your consequences are, we're going to take it again. No Mm -hmm. big deal. Mm -hmm. But that's not the way that things are phrased to the teachers, and that's not the way things are phrased to the kids. And so then they're like, okay, if I fail this, I'm stupid. So then it becomes Mm. these identity statements. And a loser. Yeah. yeah. And what's interesting even about the English language, if you think of the Spanish language, they say, um, I have fear, right? It's something I possess. And in English, we say, I am afraid. Hmm. It's identity. It's identity, mm. right? So wow. then it's going to the core of it. And so like, I failed. No, buddy. We just didn't do a good job on the test. But even like our English language predisposes us to take those things to heart so and make it an identity statement. Hmm. So I agree with you. Um, I think it's it's probably not the test itself, but the way that we approach the test. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, but yeah, you, it's you wouldn't be hard pressed to find the statistics on those in mental health hospitals and you know eight year olds that are feeling suicidal because they don't want to take a test. Oh yeah, I remember um, when I went to the University of Pittsburgh and there. Shout out to all my Pitt alumni checking this out here. Um, but they have a building that's called the Cathedral of Learning. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the tallest academic building in the United States. It's, it's a beautiful uh, structure. And almost every single year, we would hear news of someone jumping off of the Cathedral of Learning. Hmm. Um, every year. It's um, a metaphor, huh? Yeah. I mean, it, you know, the, the students. And so, you know, I just wonder, you know, what's going on there? You know, I hear about other countries where, you know, uh, if you don't pass a certain test, um, you either you are on the path to go to college mm-hmm. or 
you're not on the path to go to college. And if you don't do well, I think it's like around fifth grade, fifth or sixth grade mm-hmm. or so, that this makes you this makes or breaks the whole trajectory of your life. You know, and, and so I, I can see kids that struggle with their identity, to mm-hmm. your point. Um, and that leads to other areas of struggle in the classroom as well um, because of how they see themselves. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think we also spend less time being kids these days. Yeah. You know, you know, when I was little, when I was probably DJ's age, he's 11, I think I still have pigtails, you know, and that's not a, maybe not. But oh, oh. I had pig. They have pigtails longer back then than pigtails they do are now. Timeless. Yeah, <laughs> right. But kids are older much sooner. We mm-hmm. played outside a whole lot more than they do now. We didn't spend a whole lot of time on computers. Well, there might not have been computers for some of us, <laughs> but yeah. um, we didn't spend a lot of time doing, you know, typing stuff and things like that. We were playing with sticks and rocks and and dolls right. and things like that outside. I wasn't playing with dolls. <laughs> You missed Maybe. out. <laughs> I must have. Well, but you see what I say? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'd even say that, that what's funny about that is that, that that might be a little bit of hindsight bias because my grandparents um, have a farm, mm. right? And so, like, even if you look past, like, this, we've glorified childhood and adolescence a lot, too. And so it's not even so much that kids spend less time being kids. We just put them in, like, a weird this is your job now to yeah. sit and do a nine to five when our body wasn't really built. Exactly. Like that. Exactly. You know, so like even kids 50 years ago, um, you know, 60, 70 years ago that were out working, milking farms at five mm. years old, um, you know, they still were working, but there was a, this is what we do to contribute as a family, as mm-hmm. opposed to you're ruining your whole life if you don't pass this test. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's a weird pressure. We're living in a really weird place right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you this. So, how how does one's um, socioeconomic status impact anxiety and depression as far as being diagnosed? Um, but so I guess twofold. So um, do is there any you know, information on you know the ratios of one group versus another mm-hmm. Prevalen- uh, prevalence of it? Yeah, yeah, prevalence of it, but also you know, treatment as well um, as far as who you know who is getting treated and who's not getting treated you know if you have money you're getting treated just because you have money to be treated um and also there's or insurance right and insurance and there's also like there's a cultural biases based off of seeking help or not seeking help you're right about you're right yeah Um, and so like you know in 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 some populations back up a little bit anger is a number one symptom of depression in kids right and so if you have an angry kid in some cultures they're going to say just spank him more. Yes. You know, just discipline mm-hmm. him more. You're right. not doing your right. job as a parent and you're failing in that. Whereas more affluent populations are going to say like, hey, you know, maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's something going on that's underneath that um, because they're less likely to think it's your fault. You know, mm. like the more you move up in, in the socioeconomic status, you're looking for uh, out, outside circumstances that mm-hmm. are, are impacting what's going on in your child. Um, versus saying like, oh man, I'm, I'm blowing it here. I'm not disciplining. I'm not, you know, spanking hard enough or whatever, grounding enough. I'm not taking stuff away. We have all, all the therapists online have seen the kid that has like nothing in their room. Like mm-hmm. they don't even have a door. They took everything away. Um, and it's just not helping because the kid's not just angry because they're angry. Right. Angry doesn't stand on its own two feet. There's always something underneath it. Yeah. Um, and so you can even go back to infancy that um, child children from a lower socioeconomic status 
um, are spoken to 10 to 100 fold less than people mm, as they move right. up in economic status. So um, I, I grew up in a, a lower income household mm-hmm. and you're just kind of spoken around mm-hmm. and then you're giving commands. Whereas if you're more fluent, you're spoken to like, oh, look at this color blue. Mommy's folding the laundry. And you're just kind of developing some of those things, which just creates this huge gap before they're even in school yep. age children. So they might yeah. not even hear the it's words. 30 million words. Right. I think that it is. Yeah. The gap between um, kids from low income families and high income families yeah. they have that many fewer words yeah. or they hear that many fewer words and you you better believe some of those words are emotional words yeah mm-hmm. right yeah and so then that starts to develop where kids of higher socioeconomic status have higher emotional intelligence mm-hmm. and so you know this kid knows how to say i'm frustrated or i'm hurt when this kid just uh, kicks something right right wow wow um what about the impacts of just you know everyday living um with for children from poverty backgrounds, mm-hmm. um, just just living under a stressed environment, um, you know, how does that con- contribute to anxiety and depression? Yeah, um, partly they don't know they're stressed, which mm-hmm. is just the beauty of childhood. Um, you know, you know things like I'm hungry, I'm not hungry, but you don't you don't know when at a certain age that that there's so much against you. Yeah. you know, you kind of look at that <clears throat> retroactively. Um, Probably because that's all they see. Their right, friends are that's experiencing their, their buddies, the same thing. You're playing with right. the same friends. Yeah. You know, you're all eating bologna sandwiches. Right. You know, you, your parents are both at work. You're all kind of hanging up and in, in, in raising each other in that regard. Um, but you're less likely to be um, to get into therapy whenever there's an issue. A child of lower socioeconomic status is more likely to go. Um, to the emergency room and then to the psychiatric hospital as opposed to those what you'd like to see the normal progression right, of right. you know you see your your family medicine doctor people of lower socioeconomic status are less likely to have an actual pediatrician that they go to regularly yeah um, you know you're you're less likely to go to individual counseling it's just kind of um, zero to 100 in that regard yeah you know I know you know as a as a as a teacher, you know, uh, when I was in the classroom, it was very. You saw the kids who knew had support at home and who yeah. had, who had a system and a network at home right. to support them, mm-hmm. and they came. You know, not that kids you know don't have issues, but they came better prepared to learn. Right. Because they had the love and the support and the encouragement, and you saw it. And you know who, who was engaging with me as a teacher, the parents who mm-hmm. were engaging with me, making sure that they were, you know, were supposed to get. And hey, I'm worried about this and that and the other. And you know, there's that support system there. Mm-hmm. Then I saw kids who it just broke, break, broke my heart. Still breaks my heart of who I knew just had no support at home. Right. We call parents. You know, they'd say, well, "What do you want me to do about it?" Right. You know. Um, our kids, you know, fatherlessness was a, a big issue mm-hmm. um, uh, with many with many students as well. Um, and so, you know, as, as a teacher, I'm seeing, you know, they saw all these backgrounds coming together. Um, I had one girl, I remember she had slits all, eighth graders had slits all up on her arms from, uh-huh. trying to, from attempting suicide. Um, I don't know where I'm going with this. but well, I, just, I, have, I, just, I have a question that, yeah. that you brought that I'm thinking I'm just, because I'm of what you were saying. Observing, yeah. yeah. So, as a parent, 
you're talking about some of the people that don't have support at home and what is it that you can what are the symptoms what should we be looking out for because a lot of these these symptoms are missing so what happened with our child is he was starting to have outbursts at home yeah um, and you said anger mm -hmm. is one of the primary um um, symptoms mm -hmm. and we had no idea he had normally been a an even keeled kid right happy-go-lucky happy-go-lucky yeah. obedient and then all of a sudden he was not yeah and so that was kind of a red flag for us so what are some of the other things that we might be looking out for as parents yeah I think doing the best you can to keep a pulse on your kids life and so what's beautiful is that you knew that was different for your child Mm -hmm. um, a lot of parents don't don't know that because you know circumstances maybe they have to work more right um, you know they'll chalk it up to middle school is weird and it is right. it's super it is. weird <laughs> um, nobody liked it I always tell my kids like do you survive this just survive <laughs> this just it's right. gonna get better um, but yeah keeping keeping a pulse on what's going on in your kids life you know watch them watch their eyes watch their breath uh, are they taking short shallow breaths or are they trying to avoid certain things are they feeling um irritable or are they having outbursts during transitions those sort of things like paying attention to when are these outbursts when are they happening mm -hmm. um and then trying to get underneath like what's the why behind the action the actions aren't going to be on their own what's the why underneath that and really trying to connect with your kid um and they you know are they using a certain word frequently like oh i'm, I'm worried or i'm scared mm -hmm. or what are their dreams like because a lot of times um, you're you're trying to compensate for those emotions that they're having in the day at night. Are they not sleeping? Do they look tired? That's a huge indicator. Yeah, or are, are teachers complaining that they're sleeping in class? Right. Mm -hmm. And even if they might be anxious and they might just be hiding out, you know, turtling and acting like they're sleeping. Mm-hmm. Um, the thought was just left my head completely. Oh, yes. So teens are sleepy. They sleep a lot. Oh, yeah. How do you know the difference between a sleepy kid and one that's actually sleeping more because of uh, depression setting in? I think that you can't do all these things on your own. So having a, if you feel like, if you feel like there's a little bit of a red flag and like, man, this seems excessive and you're mm -hmm. talking to your buddies. I love that you said um, you, you, you can't do this alone. It has to be in community. I think a lot of our parenting struggles, the reason why we created 212 Behavioral is because parents are doing all this alone and they think like, oh, I'm, I, they sent this kid home with me in the hospital and they said you'll know what to do you're a mom <laughs> that's the biggest lie i don't know what to do right i have so many degrees i have no idea right <laughs> i have no idea yeah. you know um but talking to your friends that have teenagers and saying hey what's what's that look like um there's a really great book that came out last year called why we sleep um, and it just looked at the the research of of sleep and one of the things that we know is that teenagers circadian rhythm actually changes in their teenage years so they actually get sleepy later so about everything shifts about two hours hmm. and so if you're getting tired around 10 they're not tired until midnight they're not just lying to you their whole their physiology is changing one of the theories behind that is that that's their way of kind of preparing for being separate from their parents um, that they're kind of creating their whole world um, in including that that sleepy time and they've actually tied improvement in school to switching school times to, to a later time to a later time yeah. because it, it matches with that circadian rhythm mm -hmm. um during daylight savings time the one where you lose an hour heart attacks go up 23 percent one where you gain an hour heart attacks go down 23 percent oh good Lord. so we know even one hour of sleep can be impactful and so if your child's just going to bed later and sleeping later that's not 
too much of a of an indicator but if they are out of it all the time if mm-hmm. they're trying to um, just look like they have a lower energy that never really picks up um, you know teenagers will usually see them get more perky towards the evening if that's just never happening that should be a red sign yeah and uh, we were also we've also found out that there's a difference between young kids that have anxiety and depression and the older kids like maybe 13 14 uh-huh. 15 and above mm-hmm. um when they told me that our son had depression, I said, well, he is the happiest depressed yeah. kid I've ever met, but it was the anger. Yeah. Are there any other symptoms that are uh, really more prevalent in younger kids? Yeah, I think it, it the <laughs> biggest indicator to me is the outbursts, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you're going to see the most in kids that are younger, um, the tantrums. We, we get a lot of calls from parents who are like, man, my kid is just losing it. And then we sit and we talk about it and we found out, oh, it's during transitions when you're changing things or whenever you said you're going to do something one way uh-huh. and it's not that way um, or on Mondays if we usually go to the grocery store and then we did something different and then the kids just losing their mind those are indicators for younger kids um, those tantrums that that something else is going on inside of them and you know grown people they shouldn't but they still throw tantrums sometimes when they're feeling anxious if you don't believe me just pay attention when you're trying to get off an airplane oh uh. you know nobody's happy trying to get off airplane no nobody cares about you or driving down 360 yes (laughs) traffic i was in the traffic and all these people were cutting me off and i'm thinking hey buddy i've got places to go too right you know yeah Um, but we have a little bit more coping skills than children yeah absolutely um so kind of transitioning to um treatment now um i know one of the things that uh we struggled with was identifying support for younger children yeah um there's not much out there Mm -hmm. and um it can be challenging um so can you talk just about you know what what type of support and resources are out there for for kids um depending upon what age level they're at and Mm -hmm. things like that yeah i think one of the things that maybe you're alluding to there aren't very many children's psychiatrists and the ones that yes. are out there it's really hard to get into them it's like months one of the things that i advocate for with all my parents is go to your pediatrician okay they can okay. they can help diagnose and treat basic level anxiety and depression um, but also medication isn't always necessary so you can start with um, individual therapists i have Lots that I like, um, and then there are a few of them that see people under 12 years old, mm-hmm. and they, they, because it becomes challenging, what are you going to do at that point? It becomes more parent-centered. So that's where companies like 212 Behavioral, where you go in and say, hey, I'm going to coach you on how we're handling this anxiety and this depression, because mm-hmm. when we look at the environment, the parent is the thermostat and the child is the thermometer. And we get that backwards a lot where we think the the child sets the temperature for the room when right. really it's it's the parents it's so the they, parent. they have this predisposition to anxiety and so then we have this great responsibility of how do we adjust our lifestyle to help them become a successful adult what needs to be adjusted in our routine what needs to be adjusted in our diet what needs to be adjusted in the way that we discipline like kind of what you guys were saying that you had to completely change what you were doing you have an anxious kid that's lashing out so then you're coming down on them really hard is not going to be helpful you're yelling at them whenever our um, physiology says with children they just kind of freeze up and they aren't able to deal with that so we're kind of in this ugly cycle so there are things that our parents support 
like that. Um, there's individual therapy, and then uh, there are group workshops. There's psychiatrists. Um, but I always think the great greatest place to start is talking to your community, talking to your friends, mm-hmm. um, and then you know looking for for resources once you need to escalate. Right, yeah. and Facebook is a great resource of communities mm-hmm. of parents. There's always a page for something. Yeah, <laughs> and always a crazy person on the page. Probably, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not supposed to say that, but I was also <laughs> going to say um, that they're they're the school districts are a fantastic resource too Mm -hmm. they are a great hindrance and a great pain and a great resource Mm -hmm. so it's like don't get frustrated if you don't get what you want the first time but they have uh, school psychiatrists or school psychologists at your your call they have um, 504 plans that you can do but you just have to be able to advocate for them which is what you guys are doing here is you're teaching parents how to advocate the people in the lower socioeconomic status don't know how to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. And so there's always, um, there can be therapists, there can be companies like my company that go in and say, hey, this is what you need to ask for. Let us write you a letter. This is who you need to talk to. This is what we need to ask the, nice. the school teacher to do. Um, and we do that a lot with like, kids with ADHD or anxiety. Mm-hmm. Whenever they're having a lot of power struggles with the teacher, it can be incredibly helpful to have a third-party professional go in and say, hey, let's try this. It may be the same thing the parent's saying but it's coming from someone else's mouth and that's kind of yeah and someone way. who's not intimidated to speak to right the room of people authority mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. absolutely I, I, I know you know one of the challenges as a teacher is you know <coughs> it's it's a mixed bag who we're getting in the classroom right you know now for kids who have a, a 504 or you know an IEP it's very clear mm-hmm. but there are there are other students that I saw all the time that didn't we didn't have any paperwork and I, I even asked my coworkers do we have any paperwork on this child yeah and it's like, no, you know, or we find out, oh, the mom said, oh, well, I decided not to, you know, give the medication or, you know, whatever the circumstances are. So, you know, there was a lot of challenges going on there. Um, what what are... Well, uh, well, but a lot of parents don't realize that anxiety and depression is something you can get accommodations for. Right. That right. was uh, something completely new to us. And it was recommended to us by our psychiatrist mm-hmm. or psychologist, psychologist. And um, she told us that and we were like, oh because he was struggling at school right. and obviously it's only if they um are having prob- problems with their academics it has to be a problem in the classroom right but in our case it was his grades were plummeting and it was abnormal and we put some some measures in place so that he was able to succeed more we're still working on some things right, right. <laughs> for sure yeah, we definitely have not arrived but yet. That's, that's something no that, but that's something very important for right. parents to understand right. is that there's help within the school Right. Uh, so how does how does anxiety affect academics? I mean, just as a whole. And we talked about testing a little bit before, yeah. but how does it impact ac- just academics? Yeah. And I, I would even back up to say, like, how does anxiety affect us in general? Right. So mm-hmm. our our anxiety affects us in general where you have that that hypertension, the difficulty breathing, the difficulty focusing, um, that hypervigilance is, is a term that we use. Um, you think of like you can always tell the off-duty police officer that's eating at Texas Roadhouse or something because the guy doesn't have his his back to the door and he's like always looking. It's like that. A person with anxiety has that level of hypervigilance all the time. So that the brain doesn't show. Texas Roadhouse. I, I, I don't. Know. I mean, I used to work at Texas Roadhouse. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, I, I can always I tell know. they I came go, in there like the guy yeah. that's like fighting to not have his back to the door, and it's like okay, yeah. you, you've got a little bit of like stuff going on right um but yeah so it's that and then you you put that transfer all those things into the school environment 
And now you, you feel like, especially if they're in middle school, where they have these things to where they feel like they're on a stage anyway, that everybody's looking at them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the anxiety is hyper-intensified that. It's like, man, everybody's looking at me. I can't focus on my grades. Um, I'm having a hard time reading. When people do that thing where you take turns reading and you're like mm-hmm. trying to figure out, okay, there's three people in front of me. Everybody's reading a paragraph. I'm going to practice reading this paragraph. And then the person ahead of me, read something different and now they're totally thrown off and then they throw a fit um yeah but yeah academically it could either look like a hyper focus on academics and they could be the straight a student that um has cuts all the way up and down their arm because mm-hmm. they're trying to cope with their anxiety wow um which is the people that are more likely to do self-harm are the straight a perfectionistic students although i think that statistic is changing as we speak um or it could be struggling in grades so it's not necessarily going to be decreased grades all the time it could be um, a hyper focus where i do feel like my value and my worth is tied to my academics that's interesting yeah uh we have so little time man we have to have you back um i do have one quick question before we move on to one more thing that i wanted to do um if you have been di- if your child has been diagnosed and is receiving therapy or treatment or medication whatever it is they're doing how do you know if it's not working is there a new normal this is the thing that we yeah. we were confused about we were like is he supposed to turn back to who we knew before yeah. or is there a new normal kind of is it is yeah. it based on the child so anxiety and depression are a little bit different in that regard. Um, even the, the DSM says that an average depressive episode lasts about nine months. Um, oh, and gosh. so you you might be able to, that's without treatment, um, you might be able to see the same kid that pops back with depression. With anxiety, that's more of a, a, a chronic thing. Um, I, I have asthma, so I like to compare it to asthma where I have to, you know, get up every morning. I have to take my inhaler, and there's some things I can and can't do because of my asthma um, but with anxiety it's going to be something that they're going to have fight all the time and they're going to mm. be flare-ups um, and there's going to be really good seasons and there's going to be hard seasons and that's okay because we're going to teach them and we're going to equip them that the world doesn't end whenever everything feels like it's crashing in but we're going to teach them hey this is how we be a human in a scary world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so do, is there it sounds like that's kind of going to be a lifelong thing yeah. that you have to learn to cope with. There's no cure. Right. Necessarily. Yeah. But okay. it, there are ways that you get to handle it. Okay. You know, um, and I don't want us to sink into hopelessness in that. Right. Yeah. Um, it could be a really beautiful new normal. You know, there's people mm. like you that are advocating for people that don't know anything that, mm-hmm. are, that are dealing with that. Um, just because something's hard for someone doesn't mean it's not good for them. Yeah. And that's something I try to mm. teach parents all the time, so you know, that, that just because this is hard for them doesn't mean it's not going to be good for them. This could be really, really good for them. Mm. Um, and so allowing this to be an opportunity to be hopeful that this could mold them in the person that, that they need to be. That's awesome. So one real quick, may not be real quick, but one thing that I found um, on... Pretty quick. I know. <laughs> on um, mighty.com. Yeah. And you said you knew a little bit about that website. I had never seen it before. I just kind of Googled and came across this. But I found an article um, and it talked about it, it really interviewed people who it currently experience its mental illness. But, you know, we're talking about an, um, anxiety and depression, but what they would want their parents to know. Yeah. And I just love that. So here's here's just a little excerpt of that. When a child scrapes his knee, mom's there with a Band-Aid. When a child falls ill, dad's there with chicken soup. But what does a parent do when they can't p- kiss the pain away? 
watching your child develop a mental illness, especially in an unfamiliar, if you're unfamiliar with the signs, can be confusing and rough for the whole family. For parents, it can be frustrating, not knowing what to do, what to say, or what to make of all of it and how to make it better. We asked people in our community who live with mental illness to tell us one thing they wish their parents understood. So here's a couple of them and I want kind of your feedback about these. So one is sometimes I just feel like crap. I don't always have an explanation as to why. So when you ask me, I can't always answer. I know you want to help, but as hard as it may be, you just sometimes have to sit back. Another one was, I know that you feel like you should be able to help somehow, but it isn't up to you. Medication and therapy, in addition to your unconditional love and support, is the best thing for me. Then they said, um, I'm not doing this on purpose. This isn't some attempt at rebellion or a guilt trip or me trying to punish you. This is part of me and harder to deal with than you realize. Another person said, it's not a parent's job to fix their child. There are doctors for that. It's a parent's job to love, support, and encourage your child to be f- to, so that they feel less broken and alone. Another said, you did not do anything wrong raising me, Mom. I'm going to choke up on that. <laughs> um, I will overcome this illness and be a productive member of society again one day. I just need time to let my body and soul, he- soul heal. I love you more than you know for your love and support. Another one said, Mom and Dad, I wish you would have taken this seriously and got me the help I asked for. You're my family and I can't count on you. That's a tough one. Mm -hmm. And I don't always have control over my emotions and reactions. I try my best to stay in control, but it's hard to constantly fight a battle I feel like I'm losing. So what what are some of your reactions, both of you guys, to some of those? Yeah. um, I know you've heard some of that in your practice. Yeah, it's hard um, because I think as parents, we think that we're never doing it right. We're never doing it, you know, good enough. And I don't know how many, there may be moments where our kids are like, you've done a really good job, but sometimes in their hurt and their anger, they reach for things that are the most painful things to hear of like, you weren't enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think there, a lot of those are really spot on and saying back to that fundamental choice or fundamental truth that our value isn't tied to our choices and so one of the things i like to say to my kids all the time i have a sister that really struggles with anxiety too is she um i'm the only one in my family that graduated um college and so she feels like academics is kind of the way to to please me and so she would call me a lot and she would say you know sissy i made you know i made nay or whatever i'm like oh that's great do i love you more now that you made nay and then she'll say, no, like, what if you made a deed? Would I love you less? No, you wouldn't love me less. Okay, it, would I be proud of you if you made an F? Yes, you'd be proud of me. And it's like this whole eye-rolling thing. She's like, okay, whatever, <laughs> I get it, you love me. Um, but I think that's important to say, like, you know, you're having a great day. That's so awesome. I'm so glad. Um, how do you feel about it? Do I love you more now that you're having a good day? And just having those external conversations, people say, hey, buddy, my your value and my affections for you have absolutely nothing to do with your mental state. But I'm so glad that you can be able to experience this joy that has been given to you today. Yeah, I love that your practice works with parents, mm-hmm. because you can't give what you don't know yourself. Absolutely. You a lot of us didn't get that mm-hmm. growing up. And this is this is kind of a new stage of parenting. I think it was maybe a little more off our hands off in generations back yeah and now we're we're doing things a lot different than our parents sometimes and um so we're we're learning 
we're learning with one another. And so I love that your practice works with the parents to help them. Did any of those resonate with you? Um, yeah, I mean, it just, I know, you know, sometimes kids can feel like they're, they're struggling, you know, on their own. They're in their own world um, of struggle. And sometimes without the support and without feeling unconditionally loved, they can feel like someone, you know, that they're kind of just going through this by themselves. But when, uh, when we begin to see kids for who, th who they are, that their identity is not wrapped up in how they perform. And, you know, as parents, you know, we want the best for our children and, you know, we want them to succeed. Uh, but I think, you know, I think we, you and I, Danita, can even work on how we, how we even show, you know, when we, how we respond to, this is great what you said about how we respond when they're not doing as well academically as we think that they should, <laughs> you know. Yeah, and being educators, that yeah, can be tough. Yeah, being a, you know, a teacher and, you know, both work in education is kind of mm. wow. But, but that their love, our love for them is not connected to that. Um, you could still do better, but I'm gonna love you no matter what. Yeah, right, you know. Yeah, right. And I think just you know, just being, you know, just for all parents, um, us included, just being more intentional mm -hmm. about saying and speaking these things out of our mouths mm -hmm. and speaking life into our children, uh, whether they're struggling with anxiety and depression or not, but that we're we're speaking life into them, mm -hmm. and you know that 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 can go a long way in helping children when they're going through that. They know, you know what, mm -hmm. my mom, my dad, they still love me. You know, this is tough, but I know at the end of the day that whether I act out or not, that my parents are going to love me unconditionally because mm -hmm. um, it's not based upon what we do. It's based upon who we are and our identity. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, and just really, really quick, one of the things I'd say, too, is as a parent, taking responsibility over your own emotional responses um, so that your kid doesn't feel like their actions is – in charge of your emotions so they mm. can't they can't make you mad mm -hmm. they can't make you frustrated they can't do anything like that but you're saying hey whenever i get when mama gets frustrated that's on me and i'm sorry but so that they're not tying those things of like oh if i get an f my parents won't be able to handle it you know that, that they're going to crush them that oh you know you are my sunshine da, 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 da. Um, but you're not you know i'm really proud of you and i love you and i'm responsible for my emotions and handling my anxiety and i'm not gonna put that on you that's good real quick are there any resources like national resources um websites or anything that we can go to to seek information <coughs> like the mighty was yeah is that mighty's one you would a great recommend? one um mighty's just good different articles things like that um there's a thing called growth mindset which they use in um in education a lot there's a couple of apps that I use in regards of mindfulness that are really helpful, Pixie or Chixie or something. Explain mindfulness real quick. Mindfulness um, is just the ability to pay attention to what's happening in your body. Kids that are feeling anxious have no idea what's going on. And so helping them understand, hey, are you are you anxious? Does your tummy feel like there's spaghetti in it? You know, do your shoulders feel really tight? Are you feeling worried? Um, and then having them pay attention while we walk through calming down exercises because we let them have a passy when they're a baby. We held them, we comforted them, and then we took it away. And we said, mm. hey, you're not allowed to have any more of these coping skills. You can't have your blankie because you're not big enough. But giving them things in the transition time of being mindful, let's take deep breaths and pay attention to watching the spaghetti go away in our belly and our shoulders relax. And there's a couple of really cool apps that, that do that.
Uh, real quick, what about for someone who may not have insurance or maybe they have insurance, but deductibles are so high, you know, as a teacher, I'm, I'm not even going to lie, deductibles were horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Anyway, that's another, that's another topic for another day. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but what if they don't have the funds? Um, where do how, they go? Yeah, yeah. Where do they go? Where do they so go? So under the Affordable Health Care Act, if you're any insurance is supposed to have mental options health. for mental health coverage. Um, so then you're s- it's finding psychologists or counselors that are under your, even if you have Medicaid, they're great counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a website called psychologytoday.com where you can find a therapist, and that's actually updated by the therapist themselves. So if they no longer take Aetna, they're going to take Aetna off the list. Um, if they do a sliding scale, that's therapy lingo for saying, if you don't have enough money to pay our X amount of fees, then we'll drop it down to whatever, maybe $30 a session. Um, if you have Medicaid, they're not allowed to charge a copay. And so things like that, there's a parenting center in Fort Worth that's for people that don't have any income. Um, there's, you know, lots of options. If you, you know, you can Facebook us on 212 Behavior. We'll give you some some resources um, yeah. if we're not the right fit for you, and we'll help you find who is. And we'll have some, um, I'll get that information from you, and we'll put that on our website okay. so people can access it. So unfortunately, we are out of time. We have so many more questions. Can oh, we have we you back through. on? Yeah. Yeah. I don't we even got through a third of the questions. No, we, we didn't. Had. No. I, we didn't. So um, thank you so much for joining us. We Thanks really appreciate the information you shared with our listeners. And we always want to tell you guys about what's going on with Noggin. So what's going on with Noggin Educational Coaching? So um, tis the season for high stakes testing. And we want to help uh, alleviate um, anxiety that students may have by helping them become better prepared academically. Um, and so we offer... Uh, test prep for state exams. Uh, we also offer test prep for SAT, ACT. Um, if you're looking to get into private schools, um, IC test prep um, as well. Um, and so uh, reach out to uh, info at noggineducation.com um, and uh, we'll get back to you and show you how to get this process started. And with Noggin Educational Foundation, we are gearing up for SPARK. SPARK is our summer math and reading program. SPARK stands for Summers Producing Academically Ready Kids. And we do a bunch of fun hands-on activities. And we need help putting together said fun hands-on activities. So if you are in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, hit us up at info, no, actually Donita, D-O-N-E-D-A, at Noggin Foundation. Dot org and noggin is spelled like your head n-o-g-g-i-n and you can always of course go to our website that information is also on schooldazedshow.com so next week we will be talking about your school board no words from yeah, david okay well, <laughs> i don't know a whole lot about them myself right for 10 years and don't really know what they do yeah, so I, for one, haven't given a second thought to the school board, probably like many parents. But I've come to realize that my vote for school board members may be the vote that most impacts our children's education. So joining us will be the president and secretary of local Irving ISD school board to tell us about what the school board does and how their decisions impact our kids. All right. Yeah, we're definitely looking forward to that. Um, as always, head to our website, schooldaysshow.com, for more info. And remember, you don't, uh, you don't ever have to miss a show. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, and Stitcher. And uh, we are looking forward to you guys listening in. 
And you can always follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N Foundation. And there we share a lot of great tips for helping your student. We share information about programs and, of course, information about school days. So you're not going to want to miss on, the, on that. And lastly, we always want to end our show by saying that we are parenting by grace. We depend on God to give us the wisdom and strength we need to raise our kids into flourishing adults. And if you would like to know more about that, please feel free to email us at info at schooldazedshow.com. Have a great week. School Dazed is sponsored by Noggin Educational Foundation. At Noggin, we provide free educational resources to students from low-income families and support to their parents like the preceding broadcast. School Days is made possible by the generosity of listeners just like you. Please consider donating to Noggin at Noggin, N-O-G-G-I-N, foundation.org.